I'm Riley. And I'm Ronnie. And this is the Plan to Eat podcast, where we have conversations about meal planning, food, and wellness to help you answer the question, what's for dinner? Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Plan to Eat podcast. Today's interview is with Mira Keshav. She is a personal chef. Um, she currently works in Newport Beach, California. She's originally from San Diego, and we're so excited to talk to her today. Our conversation with Mira was just so down to earth. She talks about her culinary journey, how she became a chef. We also talk about a ton of tips for recipe ideas and how to make your recipes better and how to make them taste like the way they tasted at a restaurant and even some awesome kitchen tools that she uses for everything. This was an excellent episode for the home chef, uh, but also for an, like if you're a more professional chef, there's just so much content here uh, and we can't wait to share it with you and we hope you love the episode. Mira, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. We appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Thanks for having me. All time zones included, <laughs> early or not. <laughs> happy to be here. Awesome. Thanks. We're happy to have you. So let's jump right in. Why don't you talk to us about who you are and what you do? Um, I am a private chef in the Southern California area. Um, I'm from San Diego, but I live in Orange County now. Uh, I work for a investment company, which is sort of an odd thing to say when you say private chef, but I, I work for this firm that is really lucky to have a kitchen in their office with a bunch of executives to make lunches for the whole staff every day, about 20 people. Yeah, and I, I love it. I um, used to do restaurants, used to do families, and I came across this job like in the end-ish of the pandemic, and it became my, my permanent spot, for now at least. So Yeah, that's awesome. Do you have a team, or is it just you? It's just me. I uh, I have that, um, a manager sort of that runs the office, and She's really great. She helps me out. But for the most part, it's it's just me. Yeah. We're lucky we have two dishwashers. So like not physical people, dishwashers, but machines. So that's really nice. So, you know, everybody is kind enough to like, you know, they rinse their dishes and put them away. But um, yeah, otherwise, it's it's all one one man show. <laughs> yeah, that's a really unique job. It is. It's hard to explain to people sometimes. I've gotten the hang of it in the last year that I've been working there because before I was like, I'm a chef. But I work for, like when people ask me what I do or where do I work? And I'd be like investment firm. You're like, so you're a banker? Like, what do you do? <laughs> I get used to saying I'm like, no, I'm a private chef, but I work here. <laughs> Hard to awesome. navigate. But so do really you have do you have a particular like type of food or cuisine that you are a master in or is it kind of all across the board? Master is a strong word. Um, I don't even think you could ever be really a master except maybe sushi because people train really a long time for that. Well, yeah. Um, but I trained in a couple different cuisines besides going to culinary school. I trained in an Indian restaurant for six months. It was sort of a modern mixed cuisine Indian. So it wasn't all from one area necessarily, but it was definitely out of your ordinary chicken tikka masala sort of place. Um, I trained in Italian and Mediterranean. And then I also worked for a paleo keto kind of place in San Francisco. So I got sort of a whole gluten-free belt going as well as some of the other stuff. Um, I, I definitely had a lot of people that want healthy eating um, and being Indian and loving that cuisine. It's really hard to be healthy when you eat Indian food. So I would say like that would be my area that's most, you know, sort of like the in Asian cuisines, but a little healthier is sort of my area. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say I'm a master anywhere though. 
there's always what's room your, to grow. <laughs> what's your favorite? Which one is your favorite? Ooh, it's definitely still Indian food. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I actually never grew up making it. I always grew up eating it and I love to cook, but that seemed like a pretty hard, you know, leave that to my grandma and my mom area. So I switched to learning it eventually. And I was like, now it feels so proud to have to know how to do this. <laughs> and still, I think it's not as good as there sometimes. You know, man, I say this all the time, Ronnie. <laughs> Food is such a nostalgic thing for people. I say, so much. oh man, I think I've said it every podcast the last yep. six months. <laughs> But it doesn't really, it's like your mom and grandma making it, it has so much more to do with, I mean, it might taste better because there are things that my mom makes that certainly taste better. Um, My grandma for sure. But there's just so much like attached to it, like with your heart that Mm -hmm. I think that that it just tastes better because your heart is involved. Yes. I, there's one of my favorite books that I love to read. Um, It's called like Water for Chocolate. Mm. And this woman, like, you know, she, when she cooks and she's really sad, people taste the sadness in her food and they cry. And then when she's happy, it's like the most amazing meal they've ever had. And um, it's sort of, you know, it seems like magic when you're reading it. But then when you think about it, you can sort of feel it. When someone's really down, when I cook, when I'm not in a good mood, people are like, "Eh, it wasn't that good today. (laughs) And when I'm in a great mood, it's like, this was the best meal today. Like, this was so good, even though I've made that a hundred times before. So definitely, you know, what you put into it is what you get out of it. And that's a big thing, thing besides even nostalgia, which makes a difference too. So yeah, right. It's funny that you say that because when my husband hears this podcast, he's going to be like, see, I told you, you've got to put love in it. <laughs> he always says that but for my husband, love means more butter, more <laughs> like, like how, like, like it always tends toward, like, it's like if I made something healthier. Like the the love that he's talking have about enough. always goes in the <laughs> other direction. So. But I mean, it does make things good. So <laughs> I think there's a whole scientific area to be explored about. I mean, people make good food, but sometimes good food means like the Michelin star chefs that use the most expensive ingredients from the, you know, the fanciest place um, versus like, you know, at home we used canned beans to make whatever it is we made and it was still fantastic. There's an, you know, is it the food? Is it where it comes from? Which is so important with farm to table and all that versus like, what are you putting in it from what yourself, you know, and your soul um, is a whole, I'm sure there's a whole scientific research that could be done about that. There you go. There's your second career. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good area, actually. Yeah, Not it would be really that. cool to explore that. That's so true, though, because, you know, a lot of the time you go to like a quote unquote greasy spoon restaurant and you're like, this is the best food I've ever had, you know, and then, yeah, and then you can go to, you know, like a really fancy restaurant and be like, it was great, but, you know, maybe that maybe sometimes the the, the diner food is a little bit better. And maybe it also depends on who you are as a person, but. I don't know. I had a conversation like this with my sister recently, like my favorite food probably to this day is still grilled cheese. And you could be like Wonder Bread with Kraft Slices grilled cheese, or it could be like the fancy sourdough with the really expensive $10 cheese you bought at Whole Foods with all the expensive Irish butter. And like still, those are two pretty amazing things separate on their own, but still grilled <laughs> cheese, right? Like, where does that go? And you weigh the, you know, like, it's just hard to say, but they're still amazing on their yeah. own right. Well, and I would think that some, there's... I would say that some people 
would actually prefer the like craft singles version of that. Like they would be like, don't give me any fancy grilled cheese over here. Like Mm -hmm. I grew up on the Wonder Bread and the craft singles. Maybe that's nostalgia again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) I agree. I actually think that's important when people ask me about recipes is to say like, because a lot of people stress out about like, I don't have that one ingredient. Is it going to turn out the same? Um, There's always a substitute for everything. But the reason why recipes are hard to give to people in my in my mind, at least, is that I don't always have the same stuff on hand when I make that recipe every time. And it's hard to convey to people sometimes when I really try to to be like, it's okay, it's still going to turn out all right. (laughs) You know, what you have in your kitchen is still going to be great. And that's what makes it your own. And that's how, you know, originality is like there's no originality sometimes in this world. We have so much stuff going on all the time. Um, Social media makes everything common in like a heartbeat. So what makes it your own is what you put into it, right? What you have on hand makes it special and yours. Yeah, there's actually it's just ringing true with me because there's times when I'll make the same recipe that I've made forever. (laughs) And sometimes it's amazing. And sometimes it's just kind of like, oh, I'm fine, you know, (laughs) but I think that that's so true. It's like, because I just am a, I'm very okay with winging it. If mm-hmm. I don't have the thing or uh, or trying something new this time and I'm yep. really bad about writing it down, um, but really good at doing it. And so it's like I never it's just the trying the different things or like mm-hmm. maybe one time I pureed it and the next time I didn't. And that mm-hmm. like makes a recipe totally different if you pureed something versus not it's like chunky yep. versus. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. So I, I love that you're saying that. <laughs> In my short period of time. Um, between college and actually becoming a chef in culinary school and I always loved to cook even at home I didn't have a food processor and that used to stress me out like crazy I was like how am I gonna chop this how am I gonna make salsa hummus like what am I doing even the blender I was like it doesn't do it the same like it used to so stress me out and I had to just be like work with what you have that's what makes you a good cook and that's what just makes it more fun so you're not worried about all that stuff (laughs) how it's gonna turn out yeah. So what um, what made you decide to become a chef? I always really loved to cook. Even when I was a kid, my mom loves to tell this story about how my favorite restaurant was Benihana's. And because I just wanted to watch the guy cook the whole time, <laughs> even though I never ate anything. I was super picky as a kid, oddly. But um, yeah, I just always loved it. And I always used to say I want to be a chef. And there's a short span of time. My dad's a dentist. I used to be like, I want to be like my daddy. I want to be a dentist. And then I realized people's mouths are gross and I just couldn't go into that. Uh, But yeah, I was just always on that. And then it, you know, many years ago now, it was really, really hard to be a chef. It was just, you know, really tough life and didn't make any money. And it's still not easy necessarily, but it wasn't a path that I was really like set to just choose. So I you know, I was like, maybe I'll be a pharmacist. Maybe I'll go into food science. Maybe I'll, I looked, I did college for a first year, um, regular four year. And I was like, yeah, I can't do any of these things. And my dad at the end of it was like, if you really want to go to culinary school, like we'll help you go. And you should, you should do that. Um, Cause I worked at restaurants all through my four years of undergrad college. And I just loved it. And I had a chef tell me, you know, this is your, he gave me my first kitchen job in LA. And he was like, if you really want to do this, you have to really, really, really love it. Like you have to love being here all night long. You have to love like really being hot all the time and then cold all the time, you know, standing at the quote unquote smoke breaks, even if you don't smoke when you're standing like next to the dumpster in the back, you have to love the whole thing. And so 
I did it. I was like, okay, I'm going to go in and I'm going to try it. And it was rough for the first month or so. And then I was like, no, actually, this is like weird energy high that I just, I can't get away from. I love learning about food, being around people who love it all the time. And so I was like, this is for me, for sure. And yeah, I just stuck to it. I was like, you have to, once I made the decision, I was like, nope, I'm going to commit. I'm going all the way. So <laughs> I love that. I love that too. Yeah. I, I worked in the, I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but I worked at a a restaurant for seven years before I started working no. for plan to eat. And um, I was in the front of the house, but mm-hmm. there is just a, there is kind of an energy about working at a restaurant, particularly when you work in an environment where everybody gets along really it's well, mm-hmm. like it is kind of a special environment to be a part of. I, I kind of, I lament the fact that uh, a lot of times people who work in restaurants are like viewed as maybe like a little like lower class or something because yeah me too <laughs> you know because we all love to go out to eat right but that that was hard sometimes to feel like people were maybe judging me by working in a restaurant yeah. <laughs> I think culturally too like um being from an Indian family it was like why are you gonna shoot for like the lowest level and to me mm-hmm. it was like no the best thing we do is cook together and sit around a table that's what we do all the time like imagine if I could make money doing this that would be fantastic and I just yeah I never saw it that way yeah, because we love to go out to eat, you know, always. Yeah, the, since I was the, young. <laughs> who doesn't? Right? Yeah. <laughs> the thing that really stood out to me about that is that your dad was so supportive, um, mm-hmm. and that resonates with me because uh, I went to school for photography, and mm-hmm. my dad is an engineer, and <laughs> I have a like a lot of engineer relatives, PhD mm-hmm. relatives, and in some ways, I felt like uh, I felt like it was hard. Like for him to say that, but at the same yeah. time, he wanted to support me and what I wanted to do and what I, what my goals were for my life. And so I always have really appreciated that my dad did that for me because he could have very easily pushed me into something else or tried to steer me in a different direction. And instead he supported me in that. And so I, I love that your dad was like, no, we'll help you do this. You should do this. Yeah. My, him and my mom both, it was, it was literally like the tail end of my first year of college. I was doing so poorly and he was like, if you want to do this, he's like, you have to, you know, you have to decide now. And I was like, at that point, I was like, if I don't finish a degree of any kind now, like the four year, I probably won't go back to it. So I almost dropped out to enroll in culinary school. I'd filled out the application and everything. And I was like, no, I'm going to finish a business degree because I always wanted to own my own place at that point. And, and I was like, no, I'll go to culinary school afterwards. He's like, if you still want to go, you should still go. And then I graduated just like a semester early so that I could enroll in culinary school after that. Oh, that's awesome. And, yeah, and a business awesome. degree background is perfect I, for you. I still come from a, a family that's like, no, four degree, four year degree is important. You need that. <laughs> yeah. And that's what mine was too. And that's, mm-hmm. that, that was like almost the compromise for my dad yep, was like, exactly. Let, you can do this, but it needs to be a four year degree. Like, you need to be <laughs> educated in something else in case. Yeah, yeah. And it was totally worth it. Cause yeah, now, I mean, weirdly, I'd never thought I'd say I worked for an investment firm, but that's also, you know, an interesting thing that I have business background and I work for them because it's cool to hear about other people's job all the time, you know, what they're doing and investing and that world is crazy right now, but. (laughs) Right. So when you are, how do you go about creating a menu for 20 other people? You know, Mm -hmm. I'm guessing you do it on like a, maybe a weekly basis or whatever. How do you go about picking out, you know, like what recipes you're going to use or what flavors mm-hmm. you're going to put into your menus? So I, I, when I started working, I asked them what, you know, what kind of food they like and what was sort of their aim for what they wanted out of that, you know, and 
just like anyone would say, we're open to most cuisines, pretty much anything, but just make it healthy. We don't want to have like fried food every day and dripping in butter every day. But, um, you know, you know what we like and we want to make sure there's a protein for everyone, vegetarian and non-vegetarian. So I usually pick a cuisine or sort of, and I'd say like a cuisine, but it's not always just like American or Mexican. It's sort of like a meal. So I usually center it around a protein and then my starch item. So, you know, let's see, today is, today's menu is going to be a really big Italian chopped salad. Um, and some days I center it around a salad or a soup instead, and that'll be like the main. And then all the other things that go along with it will be a couple of vegetables, a protein or two, and then some sort of grain or starch. So today will be all the leftover bread I have. I'm making it into croutons, which who doesn't like croutons? Yeah, big chopped salad with tons of different veggies, you know, olives and tomatoes, cucumbers, the whole nine yards, and then um, some sort of chicken dish. I usually stick with thighs because they don't dry out. And for so many people to cook them, who has time for that? Yeah, different Italian seasonings, roast them in the oven, and then I usually pick some vegetables. I've got tons of broccoli left over, sweet potatoes, do like a roast and grill them on the, you know, on a pan with lemon and garlic. Just find flavors that sort of already accompany the sort of cuisine you picked. Because I think people get caught up in the idea of like, this cuisine has to stay this cuisine. And, you know, Italian food has lots of garlic, lots of herbs. So I just, you know, stick with that area and not really feel like I need to stick to a special dish. And so, you know, balsamic is Italian and red wine vinegar is Italian, lemons, um, just sort of stick with those flavors and any combination of those together is going to be good no matter how you put it. So I usually start my meals that way of saying like, what kind of flavors do I want? Not necessarily cuisine. And then, yeah, pick a, pick a protein, pick a grain, pick a vegetable or two, a salad and go from there. Do you do the same cuisine or same flavor type every day for a week or do you change it up every single day? I usually change it every single day. I'll pick five of like five kinds, I guess I would say for the week, um, you know, do a couple different Asian cuisines because everybody loves Asian food. And, you know, that's anything from Thai, Indian, Vietnamese, Chinese, you know, the whole Japanese. So a couple of those, even Indian. And then I'll do an American, you know, one day like a soup and salad, um, which is always a healthy and good pick for lunch. And then, yeah, anything in between there. Because, you know, Italian's good. French is hard because they just have so much butter and everybody <laughs> wants butter. But yeah, it's sort of like I, I actually use, you know, plan to eat as the app um, and I save my recipes, some ones that I write myself and plenty of ones from everywhere else. And so I'll, I'll look through that and just get some inspiration. I have pretty much every Bon Appetit from like the last 10 years. And so I, I usually when I'm really starved for ideas, I'll sort of leaf through it. I keep menus from restaurants. Every restaurant I go to that has a paper menu that I can keep and ask for it, um, mark it up, and then keep them for future reference. You don't need the recipes, but it's nice to just have an idea, right? That is a great idea to keep menus from restaurants. Mm -hmm. I have a little folder. It's awesome. And then I actually, I mean, more recently too, a lot of restaurants change their menus like every few weeks, months. If I go back there, they're not going to have the same thing again. And so, you know, and they recycle their menus out. Having worked in restaurants, I know they reprint like menus every few hours, you know, they get dirty. So you don't feel like you're really taking <laughs> much from that. 
and they're always happy to see you know people interested so it's a nice nice thing to have just like a collection of ideas always sitting there so yeah that's a really great idea um you talking about those flavors though makes me think of i read the book salt fat acid heat salt fat acid heat one of my favorites yeah and uh she talks in there a lot like she basically makes these pinwheels of like here's like a type of cuisine and here's all the possible flavors that could be involved in that type of cuisine. And it was really eye-opening to be like, okay, so yeah, like an Italian cuisine isn't just like five flavors. It's like 50 flavors that you could put in to create, you know, this Mm -hmm. specific cuisine. So um, if anybody really wants some, some great practical ways of like putting flavors together, that book is awesome. I I think that's the second step. So the whole menu, I would say you pick flavors and a cuisine, you know, sort of. And then each item that you make should have a little bit of those elements of the salt, fat, acid, heat. When people mm. are worried about how to season something, I usually say something always needs, you know, salt, fat, acid and heat of some kind. I don't always think it needs to be spicy necessarily because heat can be misconstrued as that. Um, but, you know, whether it's a hot dish or a cold dish or, you know, pep pepper versus spicy you want a little bit of that so and that's what makes a balance of anything that tastes good so Mm -hmm. really good um I would say resource even for any chef (laughs) professional or otherwise yeah honestly her story kind of mimics yours a little bit in the way that she Mm -hmm. like worked in a restaurant for a really long time before she decided to be a little more classically trained and I bet that most people who are great chefs have so much of that practical practical experience before actually going and like yeah. learning how to apply those things. I think a lot of chefs in a certain mindset too, that culinary school is a waste of time and money. A lot of them would think that just working in a restaurant will give you all the experience you need. I had a couple more than one chef tell me that they were like, if you want to work here, just, you know, work for us full time. You don't need to go to school, just quit school. And I, I wanted to go to school because I wanted to be immersed in it all the time, but it's definitely, you know, that, hands-on experience that you're in all the time will get you so much knowledge that you'll never learn in any school Mm -hmm. Um, and that makes a difference I tell people are like I'm not good at cooking but practice makes perfect it really does (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah I I think that I think a school is maybe not right for everyone but like a school was right for me I'm gonna go back to my photography thing Uh, school was right for me in that way but it's like a like a combination of the hands-on like I couldn't be a photographer with never having picked up a camera and so there's like this dual aspect of like the school part was really good for me because I liked the community aspect and the immersed aspect <laughs> and the um even the critiquing having other people yeah. see what I did or or in your case taste what you made mm-hmm. and give you back on it I, to me that's really beneficial for the way that I learn mm-hmm. and so yeah. So for some people, just being in a kitchen all the time is probably the right course, but yeah, not for everyone because school could be really beneficial for other people. D- just yeah. depends on the way that they learn and the way that they want to exactly. take on their career or whatever it is. <laughs> I've always been a bit of a nerd, I should say. I I always really liked being in school. Um, I like to read a lot. You know, I like to do all the stuff that school involves. There are plenty of people in my culinary school class that were not good students and they graduated just fine if not even better than me as chefs, you know, just because that's not the way that they're used to learning. So I think the hands-on is definitely a different but equally important approach. And to me, culinary school was very all-encompassing of a lot of different practices versus a specific restaurant with a specific cuisine. 
And it was like, you know, nine to five, like all day, you're just in it um, with the various, you know, we had to cook the same kind of steak like 10 times to get practice at it. And that might not have been something I got practice at in a restaurant because you're cooking for somebody at that point. And that's like a very stressful thing for me on the line of learning. I was like, oh no, someone's actually going to eat this. So yeah, I think that that made a difference for me. I could see that. I, I could, for me, I, yeah, I would feel the same. <laughs> I've never cooked this before. I'm not going to cook it for somebody else. Exactly. I'm going to cook it for me first, see if it's okay. Uh, and then I'll make it for somebody else. <laughs> my my sister, God bless her, loves to tell people all the time that like, I really was no, not always a good cook. She's like, trust me, I've had that bread that you made that was like a brick. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> and you know, we all have those stages. Like even as chefs today, there's some stuff that I make that's just not good. You have to practice a lot of things to make it turn out well. You have to test a lot of things. And so, you know, you have to just be okay with that. Some things are not going to be good. (laughs) Nothing like a sibling to keep you humble. Yep. Always. (laughs) She'll never let me forget that one. It makes me feel good, though, that you uh, say that not everything that you make turns out well, because I just had experience a couple of weeks ago where I made dinner that was not good. We actually ended up throwing it away and eating, you know, like scavenging in our refrigerator instead. And my husband was like, it's okay. Like, we've been together for how many years? And like, there have been so few times that we've actually thrown away the food that you've made. Mm -hmm. Like, this is true, but there's something about cooking. And I don't know if it's just because it's like... It's something that you like you're giving to somebody else like you're like yeah. like the focus is on like I'm nourishing you I'm providing yeah. this for you that like when it goes wrong it is such a, Let a down. painful experience yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> part of it too you feel you often feel like oh my god I just wasted food too like I totally. put so much effort in it and it was for nothing it does definitely it breaks you down a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is that heart thing. This is that you put your heart into it. You try to Absolutely. do something. I don't know. It's consuming something, giving something to somebody else <laughs> to consume feels different. Totally. And, you know, it's not like giving somebody a t-shirt and being like, here, I got no. you a present and then not fitting them. It's yeah. very well. You're like, oh, Barbara, well, I guess we can figure that out. You yeah. can't yeah. fix it. You know, you can't, there's no result. Like, I mean, you know, like there's some ways you maybe could save a recipe once it's already served, but yeah they're limited not, not as, as often yep <laughs> right yeah but you can't yeah it's it's a it's just that heart thing you put so much into it they're going to consume it it's you know it's like a, yep. it doesn't last long it's a short-term <laughs> gift there's so many elements of it that's like, go down the like the like the heart yeah like what goes into it the emotional okay. aspects of cooking because i would love to know more and this conversation is just backing that up yeah, yeah absolutely yeah in the same vein i think most commonly I try to reuse my leftovers like if you know we happen to have a day when people work from home a lot and then I made food and like nobody was there I my most common google searches are how can I repurpose so and so because I want to make sure that I'm not wasting any food all the time and I it's a hard thing but the internet's a good place for google's google's pretty helpful um I think everyone's most common one was thanksgiving is like how do I repurpose all my leftovers and I think I made turkey sandwiches and then someone was like make a soup and then we made like burritos so much to do with it but then after two times you're like I'm tired of eating this (laughs) (laughs) our coworker Shelby actually with her Thanksgiving leftovers makes um 
like egg rolls basically like she buys like the egg roll mm. paper and then like puts yeah. turkey and a couple i don't know like vegetables or maybe like the stuffing or something in with the in the roll and then she dips it in gravy and cranberry sauce really really fantastic idea sounds really good <laughs> yeah. that is the most unique repurposing i've ever heard for i know it's leftovers. so creative can you yeah. get like the crunch with all the soft stuff yeah anything in an egg roll is good <laughs> what would you say is your number one favorite thing to cook oh Okay, it doesn't have to be number one. It could be in the top 20 because as a chef, I'm sure you've got a long list. <laughs> I would say the most favorite thing for me to make is probably one of the most favorite things for me to eat, which is usually Mexican food. Enchiladas are big. Like it's one of those things that takes you so long to make and you put so much into it, but the end result is so worth it after doing all that work. And I mean, I'm from San Diego, so I grew up on plenty of Mexican food. and yeah, it's partly nostalgic and partly just like this is this is the good food that I want to eat all the time. Um, so yeah, both eating and making that's one of my favorites. I would say I'm a big Mexican food fan too. Any Mexican, if we're really going to come down to it, but enchiladas specifically. Do you yeah. make your own homemade enchilada sauce, or do you, are are you okay with just the can enchilada? Uh, sauce? I often make my own, but the my making my own is a lot of work. So, and I actually grew up on the canned and jarred sauce. So sometimes I'll take the canned sauce and just doctor it to be my own. You know, you can add plenty of seasonings to it. Sometimes the canned one is spicy. Add some tomatoes. You can easily make a canned sauce like phenomenally restaurant level if you just add some stuff to it. So yeah, a little bit of both. <laughs> I've yeah. tried to make my own homemade enchilada sauce before, and it was a lot of work. And I felt like, I think whatever I did, the like spices never quite dissolved, you know? So it's like a little bit grainy. Yeah, you get the so grain. It was, yeah, it was not a, <laughs> I, I pretty much stuck with canned since then because it wasn't a successful experience. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've, I've found a lot of recipes that were, um, they were asking for a lot of those dried chilies. And while they're easy enough to find the dried chilies, to work with them is like a whole ordeal because of the seeds and blending and all of that. And so I've I've definitely mixed recipes that I found and adjusted them to become my own because mm -hmm. the recipe just didn't cut it for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you happen to have a, you, so you talked about food press, food processor before <laughs> not having one, but do you have a favorite cooking tool or like the cooking tool that you would recommend to everybody like this is the thing that's this is the thing the life changer Ooh, it's somewhere between the NutriBullet or like a blender like in the Vitamix blender um I do everything in that little NutriBullet I mean it's a tiny one it's old um I mean the Vitamix has one of those too so it's pretty awesome um but that little thing can get you so far and so mm -hmm. fast um and if everything from smoothies to chopping garlic to dressings and, you know, so every kind of sauce under the sun, like I do everything in that. I even grind pepper and coffee in that thing. So it's amazing. Which wow, really versatile. Yeah. I don't always recommend the coffee because the coffee will taste like whatever you had in there before. <laughs> <laughs> so you just make sure you wash it really thoroughly first. But um, everything else, it's probably the number one tool I use for sure. I've actually made whipped cream in mine oh that's a good idea which i know is like if there's a professional baker maybe even you <laughs> thinking that is 
totally inappropriate, but no. it makes it in about 25 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> it is I, kind of amazing. <laughs> I'm a big, someone asked me that recently, like the, you know, the hand blender was broken and I just stuck the whipped cream and the sugar in a, like a deli container with something with a lid that seals well. I just shook it up for like five or 10 minutes and made whipped cream. It yeah. was like the equivalent, right? Mm-hmm. There's the solution for everything. Well, let's see. So for the home chef, the Nutribullet Vitamix situation is a really great tip and also a really great kitchen tool. Do you have any other things that come to mind that you would suggest for somebody who's just trying to be a better cook at their own at their house? Yeah, I a lot of recipes that chefs, any recipe that you find in New York Times, Bon Appetit, all those magazines and, you know, professional outlets that will publish recipes, they're often using diamond crystal kosher salt or some version of kosher salt. And that messes up a lot of people's measuring when they're measuring for salt in their recipes. Only thing about that salt, if it's important to you, it's not iodized, but otherwise that salt is the one that you're going to, that will probably get you exactly the flavor that, you know, that recipe was looking for. And so I think, you know, that's the number one problem of people being like, it's not salty enough, it's not salty or it's too salty. And that that's a number one tip is always like adjust for that. And I would recommend that buying that salt. You get it in a big box and it lasts you forever. Um, another tip is make sure your oils are good. They actually do go bad. People forget that your oils have an expiration date and they will go rancid. And that's probably a reason why it doesn't end up as good as you want. So just check that your expiration date, it, it actually does mean something on the oil and make sure you're not burning your oil. They have a lot of um, different oils that are not meant to be super high heat or fried in. Those are my number t- number two tips, I would say, number one and two. Beyond that, I would say that everything can be substituted. Butter can be substituted for another kind of oil. Um, you know, any vinegar you have, you know, it says that you need this specific type of vinegar. It can be substituted for another vinegar. And the only way that you'll know is to test it, but, you know, in your own recipe as what you're doing, but definitely don't feel stressed about that. <laughs> Those yeah. are great tips. I, I feel like we could have a whole episode about salt because yeah. there's some that are saltier than others. And like you just said that that is what they use. And if mm-hmm. you're looking for that exact thing, salt is a key player in recipes Everything. a lot of the time. Yeah. Most of the time when people say like it's missing something, it's probably missing salt. That's like the number one thing. I go to any any person's house, anyone that asks me that question, I'm like, did you put enough salt? <laughs> and I think the tip that I found most helpful in culinary school too was when you're cooking and you're throwing a bunch of different things into the pot, every time you throw something in the pot, puts just enough salt for that one thing. Mm. Salt for each item instead of oh, putting a bunch of salt all at once. Because how are you going to know if you're just adding like that little pinch? And I, I never use a spoon. So I'm a hand pincher. But um, you just put enough salt to salt that one thing. And then when you add something else, salt that too. When you add something else, salt that too. If you're salting, you know, if you're going to put a piece of meat in the pan, salt that first and put it in the pan. Um, and I think that's the best way to go about that because that's how you know you're putting exactly enough for everything in that you're making in that pot or pan. And this is kind of silly, but I just started thinking about you measuring salt with your hand and not with a spoon. And I would <laughs> guess that you like just know, you just it feels a certain way in your hand it's, like as an expert in that department it's so you're like, weird oh, this i just do it and this it's is so weird but 
the thing when we learned that in culinary school, they were like, you don't use a spoon. They were like, you don't sit stand there with the recipe all the time. When you're in a restaurant kitchen, you just salt. And we have my mom makes fun of me all the time. She's like, why don't you have a spoon in the salt? But I just I, I can't with the spoon. It doesn't. I, I feel it. I you feel, feel it. it. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> another reason they use that diamond crystal kosher salt is that it's grainy. It has like, you know, they're all different shapes, the pieces of salt. So it stays in your hand. The round table salt is round and just falls out of your hand. And that doesn't mm. work. Um, so, yeah, it's a weird. There's a science behind that salt. <laughs> well, there's a reason why in the salt fat acid heat that salt is the num- first thing, first number thing. one. <laughs> like it's the first thing on the list. And there's a whole section. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like if anybody listening is confused about salt, seriously, go read that book. That was that chapter in and of itself was the most eye-opening thing for me to become a better at-home cook, like salting your meat ahead of time, like, you know, like hours Mm -hmm. before you start cooking to like bring out the flavors of things. Yeah. Not using iodinized table salt because it gives like a metallic-y flavor to Mm -hmm. your food. Like so many things about salt, but salt I think is the thing that changes recipe, like the thing that's going to change a recipe the most is like what kind of salt you use and how much salt you, well, you know, (laughs) all the things with salt. Yep. She has a Netflix episode too, if nobody's keen on reading, but she explains all that in the Netflix episode too. It's just a single episode on the salt. Um, I think it's also important. People forget that like some of your ingredients are salty too. Like Mm. your fish is already kind of salty. It comes from the sea. Soy sauce is already salty. You don't need more salt always if you add that or miso something like that. That stuff's already super salty. Celery is naturally really salty. You don't need tons of salt when you add those things. Um, or your seasonings, if you buy prepackaged like mixes, a lot of them already have salt in them. So I would add those and then taste before you add more salt because that's what's going to be like crazy salty. Yeah, it it's salt is an entire, we could make episodes, multiple yeah. episodes about salt. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so this episode is going to be coming out close to Valentine's Day for anybody who cares, who's listening, who cares. Do you, (laughs) Mira, do you have um, a recommendation for maybe a great like at home date night recipe that, you know, you make that just seems to always turn out really well? So I think there's the easiest recipe that has the least number of ingredients that is the most impressive on Valentine's is actually French onion soup. It literally has like five or six ingredients. Um, If you're not keen on the onion texture, like my own boyfriend, I would blend the onions because there's a place here that does like a blended onion soup and it's fantastic. But it feels really impressive once you sit down with it. You're, you know, you don't need a lot of bread. You need like that one really big piece of crusty bread on top with a big mountain of cheese. It feels super decadent because you're using butter and the broth and all of that. Um, It feels impressive, even though you didn't have to do that much work for it. And it's really, really, really comforting, especially like it's, you know, still winter, February, you want to be cozy and you're not eating a steak to be like super bloated or heavy afterwards. You want to fall asleep. It's the sort of perfect medium. Yeah, that's a that's a great recipe. Yeah. Um, And I really like the suggestion to blend it because I think that mm -hmm. can be a lot of people's hesitation. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's just a texture thing. Um, And I actually think the blended one tastes better because it's all in there. You're not Mm -hmm. getting like a specific bite of broth and onion. They're separate. You're just getting it all in one and that tastes a lot better. That's a fantastic tip. I think I've only ever made French onion soup one time and I did. It was easy, but I did feel like 
I just, I made this, you know, really mm-hmm. fancy recipe. Like, fancy. I'm so excited for other people to eat it and like it. Mm-hmm. And I, I recently tested it with the vegetarian broth version too. Um, you add, a, you can add a couple ingredients like soy sauce or um, like mushrooms or something to add that sort of umami that you don't get from beef broth. Still pretty amazing and still equally easy to do for, you know, vegetarian option. So, yeah. So one awesome. of my favorite foods too. Like really, I'd be happy with some French onion soup all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, this might be redundant, but we end every episode by asking people what they're something that they ate recently or made recently that they really, really enjoyed. So, I mean, give us another recipe. That's what this episode's about. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I I went to a place recently um, in Santa Ana over here. It's called Detention, which is actually really funny because it used to be called Playground. Now it's called Detention. <laughs> I don't know what, what prompted the change in name, but they had a really cool menu of a bunch of different variety, you know, of foods. It wasn't all one kind of cuisine. But they had this really incredible couple of two dishes, I would say. One was this sweet potato and it was a Japanese white sweet potato that was just roasted. But they made this sort of sesame like tahini sauce to go over it. It was so good. And they sauteed some like garlic broccoli and put that over the top. And it definitely felt like there was a lot of butter in there somewhere. So that was really yummy, too. (laughs) But it seemed like something pretty simple to recreate, you know, just, you know, roast your sweet potato and some butter add that tahini sauce over it, adds like a squeeze of lime or something, and then your veggies. And that's like, that could be a whole meal on its own, even though it's just a side dish. Um, Something that's fairly healthy too, minus the butter maybe. And then the other dish was this mushroom toast. And I think they were trying to recreate mushrooms into like a fake bacon, Um, but they roasted these oyster mushrooms to be super crispy and almost have a chewy texture like bacon might. Um, and it was smoky, so they must have added smoked paprika or some sort of, you know, liquid smoke option that you can get. And they made, it said emulsions, egg emulsion, which I I have to do a little more research and science behind what that is exactly. But it was definitely a bit of like a cheesy egg sauce that they made over the top on this piece of toast that just had like a big piece of provolone grilled to it. Mm. They put the cheese on it, grilled it right on the pan with the cheese touching the pan so that it got all crispy. And then they just took that as the toast. It was like a very weird but fancy mushroom toast dish. It was so good. And I would just eat that over and over again. Like I could eat that for breakfast all the time. Yeah. That sounds like a really (laughs) unique place to go eat. Yeah. They had like uh, Peruvian, if you've ever had Lomo Saltado, which is like the French fry steak dish. Um, They had a lot of unique stuff on the menu. It's definitely a place I snagged the menu from to keep. (laughs) Um, but it was, it was cool. It was nice to try some new stuff. Um, they had like a sticky toffee pudding for dessert, which was also amazing. The whipped cream was salted and not sweetened, which was a unique touch, I thought, for something that's so, so sweet. Yeah, yeah, so unexpected. You you take a bite of whipped cream and you're like, oh, I really thought that was going to be sweet. But sticky toffee pudding has that like caramelly sauce over it, which is so sweet. And the salty whipped cream went so well with it. It was just a really... Like, I didn't expect it, but it tasted so good. The balance, you know, salt. Back to the salt. So, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, this conversation has been awesome. I um, I feel like we could talk forever just about salt, just about recipes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so thanks for taking some time and chatting with us today. Yeah. Thank you, guys. It's been really fun. Hopefully I can take you guys to detention one day. Yeah. We love that. We love it.
California. <laughs> we'll be right over. Yeah. yeah. I'll be waiting. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Mira. Thank you, guys. Really great talking to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Plant Eat Podcast. We love hearing different approaches to food, and we hope that you enjoy hearing it too. We would love to invite you to find all the recipes mentioned on the Plant Eat Podcast um, in our podcast account on Plant Eat. You can go to planteat.com forward slash P-T-E pod. That's P-T-E-P-O-D. And the variety of recipes that you've heard about and the variety of eating types that we talk about, those can all be found in that account. Thanks again for listening.